Welcome to the Grieving and Recovery Workshop, WCNA 31. My name is Cecilia and I'm an addict. Can we please open this meeting with the moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I've asked Stan from Baltimore to read what is a Narcotics Anonymous program. Hi family, I'm an addict named Stan. Hi family. What is the Narcotics Anonymous program? NA is a nonprofit fellowship or society of men and women for whom drugs have become a major problem. We are recovering addicts who meet regularly to help each other stay clean. There is only one requirement for membership, the desire to stop using. We suggest that you keep an open mind and give yourself a break. Our program is a set of principles written so simply that we can follow them in our daily lives. The most important thing about them is that they work. There are no strings attached to NA. We are not affiliated with any other organizations. We have no initiation fees or dues, no pledges to sign, no promises to make to anyone. We are not connected with any political, religious, or law enforcement groups and are under no surveillance at any time. Anyone may join us regardless of age, race, sexual identity, creed, religion, or lack of religion. We are not interested in what or how much you used or who your connections were, what you have done in the past, how much or how little you have, but only in what you want to do about your problem and how we can help. The newcomer is the most important person at any meeting because we can only keep what we have by giving it away. We have learned from our group experience that those who keep coming to our meetings regularly stay clean. Thank God. I've asked Mary from Washington to read Why Are We Here? Mary, did I say it wrong? Oh, I'm sorry. My name is Mary and I'm an addict. Why are we here? Before coming to the Fellowship of NA, we could not manage our own lives. We could not live and enjoy life as other people do. We had to have something different and we thought we had found it in drugs. We placed that use ahead of the welfare of our families, our wives, our husbands, and our children. We had, to, we had to have drugs at all costs. We did many people great harm, but most of all, we harmed ourselves. Through our inability to accept to to accept personal responsibilities, we were actually creating our own problems. We seemed to be incapable of facing life on its own terms. 
Most of us realize that in our addiction we were slowly committing suicide. But addiction is such a cunning enemy of life that we had lost the power to do anything about it. Many of us ended up in jail or sought help through medicine, religion, and psychiatry. None of these methods was sufficient for us. Our disease always resurfaced or continued to progress until in desperation we sought help from each other in Narcotics Anonymous. After coming to NA, we realized we were sick people. We suffer from a disease which there is no non-cure. It can, however, be arrested at some point and recovery is then possible. Thank you. We like Valerie from Baltimore to read, We Do Recover. family of Valerie and I'm an addict. We do recover. When at the end of the road we find that we can no longer function as human beings, either with or without drugs, we all face the same dilemma. What is there left to do? There seems to be this alternative, either go on best we can to a better end, jail, institution, or death, or find a way to a way to new life, to live. Oh, God. In years gone by, very few addicts have ever had this last choice. Those who are addicted today are more fortunate. For the first time in man's entire history, a simple way has been proven itself in the lives of many addicts. It is available to us all. This is a spirit, simple spiritual, not religious program known as Narcotics Anonymous. Again, I'm Cecilia. I, I am so nervous, but I'm honored. I'm honored because I'm going to introduce the angel of my life. And she saved my life through service. And that's Lydia S. from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm an addict. My name's Lydia. Hi. Um, an addict from Baltimore. Whew. It's, um, I need to take a second. I need to, um, even though I prayed with my sponsor, I prayed with my fiancé, um, I'm still a little nervous, and I know that um, what I need to do is to take a second, and if you guys will indulge me and help me just invite the spirit of recovery into this room, because I know that without uh, God, I am absolutely nothing. I'm an addict. My name's Lydia. Hi, family. You guys are truly my family. Um, ooh, grieving and recovery. Grieving can be seen as uh, lost, 
some um, mourning, excruciating pain. It could be loss of a childhood, a loss of a dream, a loss of a job, a loss of a marriage, relationship, etc. As long as we continue to stay in this process, all of us here have experienced loss. One of the most significant for me that most impacted my life has been the loss due to a death. I think, and again, it's my experience, strength, and hope that grief and loss can be seen in, 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 it can vary for many people. But the one thing that I came to terms with that almost took me out of the rooms, that almost enabled me to relapse, was the death of a loved one. And um, I will touch on that. Um, you know, I, I want to thank the World Convention of Narcotics Anonymous for allowing me, whew, an addict, um, to share my experience, strength, and hope. It's absolutely, I feel so honored, so privileged. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine from Baltimore, and we have this joke going on. He says, Lydia, you're like the poster child for loss and grief in N.A. And um, at first I was like laughing, and I thought that was like, yeah, that's true. But, you know, then I thought about it, and I don't know about anyone here, but I'm grateful that I wasn't on a poster for Most Wanted. Because there were many a days and uh, loss and grief, so I won't get to a lot of the other stuff. I could have. Many of us could have ended up, you know, or not. Uh, <laughs> well, the front page of a paper could have been almost the same thing, you know, because I did. But um, to be considered a poster child for N.A. as loss and grief, and I'm saying that to say is that I've been asked to do this topic quite a bit lately. And... The way my higher power would have it, the way God would see it fit for me, as I know that he continues to intercept on my behalf, is that through you guys asking me to share my experience, strength, and hope, I've continued to get strong, I've continued to help others, I've continued to get out of the way, and I no longer feel sorry, I no longer fall apart at the the thought, the idea, talking about my Losses, because it wasn't just one, and I'll get into the topic shortly. But I need to do go go back a little bit. That as a result of you guys asking me to be this poster child, I've gotten so much strength. I am no longer like this hurt person that falls apart and is in a fetal position in a corner crying and screaming and wanting to check out, not knowing that drugs will not bring my loved one back, you know? But I didn't care. I wanted instant gratification because that's how I know how to sedate pain. You give me anything, whatever it is, and I'm checking out. And, again, because you guys have helped me through this process and, and you've comforted me and you held me, you know, I haven't used. So for me, that's the biggest blessing out of being the poster child for loss and grieving N.A. You know, so I'm excited to share with you guys. Um, you know, I, I got here. Um, it's funny because I'm Sam. I'm a recovering addict from Baltimore. But, you know, I, I said I'm a gypsy because I was born in Puerto Rico 
at the age of eight, I was um, came to a two-week vacation to Massachusetts um, in a town that was a Frenchman. I totally, um, I didn't speak the language. And um, as a result of being here, I've gotten in touch with, again, loss and grief in many other areas of my life. Uh, and, and I ended up having to do a lot of work to grow up, to be able to go back, to trace my roots, to talk about the loss and grief. As a little girl coming into this country, I didn't realize that I was grieving my family. I come from a family of ten girls and three boys, and I have siblings. I have brothers that I don't have a, a relationship with. I have sisters, nieces, nephews that not until I become an adult and I was able to get a job and work and travel to Puerto Rico that I could deal with them, get to know them. And see, I didn't know that I was grieving all that until I got clean, had some what I consider serious losses, that I was able to go back and do a lot of loss and grief work, you know. As a result of that, I, I was able to come to terms that I, um, I didn't have an image of myself. I didn't know who I was. Um, living in the town that I was, I was living in, I wasn't Caucasian enough. I didn't speak the language. I had an accent. So I couldn't fit in with the um, a white you know, European, I don't want to offend anyone. And then I wasn't black enough, dark enough to fit in with African-Americans or blacks. So I didn't have a place. I found myself fighting a lot, you know, defending myself, kids laughing. And, you know, we as children, because we've done it, and it's been done to us, I was really hurt and pained up and angry, and I always had to fight to defend myself, you know. Later on... In life, I um, was grieving the loss of a male figure in my life, my dad, you know. So what I ended up doing, I ended up looking for love, affection in all the wrong places. And I ended up doing that because I was the party girl. I was drinking, using drugs, you know, alcohol is the oldest known drug, um, but at any rate, I was a party girl, so I ended up meeting people and not knowing that I was trying to find love, affection, a male figure, somebody that could give me what I thought I needed, you know, as a young woman, as a girl. So needless to say, because I didn't have experience in relationships, I ended up making a lot of wrong at the time, I thought choices, they're part of my life, so I have no regrets today because I've worked through a lot of stuff. When you've been around here and done steps and have a sponsor and you stay here, you have to do work. If we don't work the steps, if we don't get involved in service, let me say that right off the top of the bat. The topic is grief, but if I've not done any work on myself, guess what? I will use so it's important that we have a, a base, a foundation of, like Cecilia talked about, 
You know, someone was my angel. Uh, this woman was awesome, came into my life, and I'll be all over the place, but I'll be where I'm supposed to be. And she was an angel in my life, and she helped me, and she helped me to learn to love and aid, to become involved in service, to do what I needed to do. So I, in turn, was able to hopefully, again, be an angel for somebody else. I didn't pick to be her angel. I just told Cecilia, let's go to meetings, honey. That's how you're going to get clean, and you got to do service, and you know, and that's what I was told. So as a result of doing that service, having a sponsor, working the steps, I've been able to do a lot of that cleansing and healing that takes place because I don't know about anyone else, but when I came into this rooms of um, the fellowship, I was injured, I was hurt, I was insecure, I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what I wanted. All I know that I wanted to just like walk through life like I didn't care, like sedated, like I would wake up or come to life. I didn't show up for too many things unless I was high, loaded, out of commission, whatever. I mean, I would wake up with gum in my hair stuck to the pillow and didn't remember what happened. I mean, that's how that's how it had gotten. So when I got here, I had no sense of what I needed to do. All I know is that when I came in, there was pin, I looked like a pin cushion. You know, weighed a hundred and some pounds, and recovery has been wonderful, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You know, uh, some of us spread in many ways, you know, a spiritual connection gets like stronger, and some of us, you know, like gain 40, 50 pounds, you know. And, you know, all those things happen, right? So as a, as a result of, um, <laughs> I got sidetracked. <laughs> anyway, so I've grown physically, emotionally, spiritually. But, but again, I've been confronted with um, so many losses in my life that either I had to find a higher power, talk to my sponsor, have people in my life that could help me walk through this process, or I was going to do what I needed to do, what I knew how to do best. What I had experience in was, was like whatever the drug was, you know, um, could have been alcohol, could have been marijuana. Towards the end, it was that, what we call the speedball. I don't know if you got <laughs> uh, crack, I can't relate, but it's speedball, heroin and cocaine at the same time. And like, you know, that's what I knew. So I figured that in order for me to deal with stuff, that's what I needed to go back to. But for the most part, Anytime that I had a craving, my higher power um, got me from Massachusetts via D.C., where I hit my bottom, the drug capital of the world for me, brought me to Baltimore for just like my two-week vacation to Massachusetts. I came to Baltimore for 30 days, and it's 20 years, and I'm still there, you know. So... I'm the type of person that, uh, obviously, I have an addictive personality, and I become very attached, you know, so um, it worked, it, it worked, and um, when I got to Baltimore and, and started going to meetings, I always say that the ladies look good and the guys looked even better, you know, so I was going to try this life because I had tried everything, the nightclubs, the lifestyle, the whatever, I was under the illusion of, like, you know, I mean, being raised in Puerto Rico wasn't terrible in retrospect, but, you know, I, I wanted 
the prince, the knight in shining armor. I wanted to get married and this guy or someone would just rescue me away, you know. And I would have this wonderful life, the car, the house and all that. And I could just use, you know, because he was going to have enough money to, you know, for me to use. So I, I, it's so crazy. If I were to tell you guys some of the things that I went through and experienced in my head when I got here, my thoughts are not as frequent anymore. <laughs> no, I've gotten better. But it was so crazy that, that sometimes I was scared to even share with my sponsor some of the thoughts that I had. But, but I did. You know, I took some suggestions and, and I started to um, do what was necessary and um, been able to do some work on myself and being able to get grounded. Um, and uh, in 1990, um, I believe that was a turning point in my life, in recovery, um, in just my whole total existence. You know, um, my father, who had... I had gotten a chance to make amends to and, and, and talk to. As, you know, growing up, I was able to meet up and, and go visit him throughout the years. And um, I was able to come to terms with a lot of the loss and the grief related to not having a relationship with him, but also being able to forgive him. My father, um, and again, any time that I share anything, I'm very sensitive because it's not a blame thing, but it's a healing thing. My father was a, a Latino, you have to know the culture, Hispanic man, very controlling. His method of punishment were barbaric. Very, very, um, he worked on a farm. He had killed slaughter pigs for a living, and um, it, it wouldn't be unusual for him to do that to, to, um, to me. Huh? hog tie a child to a tree and just let him hang, you know, hang there. And that was um, really painful. Oh, my God, I'm, I better hurry up. So anyway, 95, my son, my dad, my dad got very sick. I was, uh, had to go to Puerto Rico um, to, to see him. Um, unexpectedly, my dad um, died from a heart attack. You know, two months later, uh, my sister, who um, was active in her addiction, who I used with for many years, uh, died, died of an overdose. Well, basically, it was, it was more related to her liver. My sister had cirrhosis and all that, and uh, she was in a coma prior to her dying, and she was told by the doctor that if she stayed away from drugs that she could live to be 60. But because of her addiction and all that, my sister um, went back to using and died. Two months after that, in the same year, um, my son, who I had, um, by the time I was 17, I had two children. And my oldest son, um, a few months before his 20th birthday, was serving in the Marines. He was murdered. So that death just overtook my whole being. I didn't have a chance to grief my dad, my sister, because I was in so much pain, you know. I was used to the idea that parents, we don't bury our children, you know. I mean, um, and 
So I was in so much pain that, I, like I said earlier, I wanted to use, I wanted to check out. And people in the Fellowship of Narcotics Anonymous came to me. They held me. They literally rocked me to sleep at night. You know, um, they were able to hold me and tell me that I was going to be okay. And if it wasn't okay, that I was going to be okay. And I'm here to, you know, I'm here to share that no matter what, whatever loss, because, see, I don't know what stage in life you're in. I know that you're here for a reason. And when I prayed, I asked God to uh, use me as a vessel of recovery. That whatever your loss is, whether a loss of a child, a loss of a loved one, relationship, a job, whatever, that today... You can hold on, that today you don't give up on your recovery process, that today you don't check out because whatever the process is, if you don't use, you're going to get better. You're going to get through it, and you're going to be okay, you know. And, again, if I'm not to leave you with anything else, just hold on. Hang in there because we do recover. We do recover so much. You know, the basic text, Chapter 10, talks about that we do recover, and we recover so many things that we've lost. And we're able now to be able to give back to our loved ones, to people that are in our lives, not taking things for granted. You know, I've been able to repair relationships. You know, I, I, yesterday I was sharing with this lady in front because she could, our souls touched for a second, and she's experienced loss, and I have. And I was telling her that yesterday, um, whew, it was my son's birthday. Had he been alive, he would have been 31 yesterday. And the way that God works, the fellowship and all that, I'm here, like, to talk about it. There's no coincidence, guys. Not for me. And this is part of my healing process. That no matter what, death, loss, divorces, whatever pain you're in, just don't use don't use. That's it. Don't use. Okay. Um, I've been informed. That was, you know what? When I cry, I said, mm, that was good. Very orgasmic. Thank you very much. I, w- I was just informed that we're out of time. Thank you guys just for, I, I, this is awesome. Hawaii. I couldn't get out of my street. Now I'm in Hawaii. I'm recovering. I love you all. Thank you. Got another awesome speaker, Andy D. from Missouri. I'm an addict. My name's Andy. Grateful to be alive and clean today. Uh, man, I, I really don't want to do this topic, to be honest with you all. You know, I, I got the call, and it's an honor any time you're asked to be good, you know, to share some experience, strength, and hopes anywhere. And I'm living a dream this week. All my life I've thought about coming to Hawaii. You know, I flew into Maui Saturday, spent five days over there. I'm at the World Convention here. And he, when he called me that day and he asked, I said, sure, it would be an honor. And then what's the topic? And he told me, I said, man, can't you give me a happy one? You know? Um, but the fact of the matter is that I've been at conventions and been at places in recovery in periods of time where I was grieving and I was in a lot of pain. And I understand that maybe because I'm having the most incredible time in my life, there's probably some people here that aren't. 
You know, um, is there anybody in here today that's recently lost a loved one, friend? Wow. I want you to know that you can get through this process and get through the pain and stay clean and not have to use over it. You know, I figured there'd probably be one or two. I had no idea. Um, I have some experience with grief and recovery, and I think that's kind of why the person recommended me for this one. I, too, have been asked to share on it more than once, and it's just like, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm not grieving today, you know, but I'm going to feel as I share this, and I'm okay with that today. You know, I I believe grief is a process, life is a process, and I know I hear this stuff all the time, man, I just want to get some closure on this or some closure on that. I believe I'm going to get closure on everything that I have going on in my life when I take my last breath. You know, I've never been able to wave a magic wand and just put an end to anything going on in my life. I am the sum of my experiences and my feelings, and it's going to continue on in that. And, and you know, I am who I am as a result of all that. And uh, I guess probably where I want to start at today is, is you know, I lost my father in recovery. And uh, this grief process, right before I had two years clean, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. His first surgery was three days before my, my two-year anniversary. And, uh, you know, I remember at that time the prognosis wasn't real good. And, and being the good addict that I am, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be prepared for whatever goes on in my life. And I started preparing to lose my father. Well, that battle went on for another seven years. You know, and he got over one hump, but for a couple of years we thought everything was going to be wonderful. And then at four and a half years clean, he was diagnosed with a secondary cancer, and he battled that for a couple of years. And uh, it wasn't easy walking through that process. You know, in the very end, I watched the, the disease of cancer take my father from 268 pounds down to about 82 pounds. I watched it wither him all down, you know, to, to nothing. I watched my hero crumble before my eyes. You know, if it wasn't for my dad, I wouldn't be here today. I had two options at the end there. You know, um, God intervened in my life in a really strange way. I... I, that's the only way I know how to put it. Man, I was psychotic. I was out there doing a lot of crystal talking with them all day, every day. And um, in the middle of an argument with one of the voices one night, all of a sudden, as clear as I hear mine now, was my mom's voice saying, Andy, we love you and we want to help you. Will you please call home? And before I realized what I was doing, I did. And my dad answered the phone that night. The first words out of my mouth were, Dad, I'm a drug addict and I need help. And he told me, come on home. You know, um, he got me into a treatment center. He got me introduced to this way of life. You know, and I'm watching my dad die of addiction. He was a heavy smoker, and that's what caused the cancer. The same man that gave me a chance at a new life after mine. It was not easy to walk through that process. But I really thought going through that with him, that when the time came, I was going to be ready to deal with it. And my experience with grief is that it comes in a lot of different stages, depending on who. I've lost a number of people. Hell, the week I got the call to do this, on Monday night of that week, an addict named Tony B. that's been coming and going from meetings in St. Louis for the 17 years that I've been clean. I got the word that she OD'd and died the Saturday night before. You know, and I, when I got the call, I thought, okay, well, I can share a little bit about Tony. Um, the day after I got the call, one of my closest friends in recovery, one of the people that really made a difference and made it possible for me to stay here when I got here, passed away of a massive heart attack. You know, um... So it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I guess I, I'll have a little bit to share about when I get there. But 
the, the, the thing that the grief is, is, you know, it comes in stages. And at first, when my father passed, there wasn't the big sadness I thought there was going to be. There was a relief because my dad wasn't suffering anymore. And I was grateful for that. And there was some denial that, man, I'm handling this really well. You know, it's going to be okay. You know, and, and people that know me back home, I came in here just a wreck, and, and I turned into a very emotional being. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm flooding the emotions whether I'm hurting or happy, man. I just turned into a big old crybaby in recovery, and I'm okay with that today. But I didn't get all the tears. I didn't get all those things that I thought I would get out of that. And um, three weeks later, I went to a convention down in New Orleans, Louisiana, and, and what folks were real supportive in my recovery. You know, I come from a real loving, caring family. I didn't come from a lot of the abuse that a lot of people do. If they did anything when I was growing up, they loved me too much, you know, and, and, and it accelerated my desire to go out there and explore worlds that they wouldn't let me anyway near when I finally got out of the house. But uh, I used to always go over to the folks' house after any functions and all and go tell them about you know, the wonderful time I had and share my experiences at conventions. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go to the grave and tell my dad about this today. I got to that grave and it finally hit. I flopped out on that ground and it took me a couple hours to get back up off it that day. And what I know about grief is it's like no pain that I have ever endured in my life, clean or using. But today I know that I can get through it clean. And when it hit for the next six, seven months, it hit. You know, and, and because I had seven years in this process to get ready, there were a lot of addicts that said, Andy, you know, we'll be there for you, we'll be there for you. And I watched several of them lose loved ones. Watched them lose parents. Watched a friend lose a child. You know, and, and all the people that told me they'd walk through it, I'd already walked through it with them. And so I, I've got this experience. You know, everybody told me grief is a process. It's probably going to be a full turn of the seasons before you feel any relief again. No, I've, I've got this down. I've walked everybody else through it, and I can, I can get through this and get on with my life. And it was a full turn of the seasons before I felt like I was coming out the other side. It wasn't constant. But when that pain hit, it came in waves. It just knocked me to my knees. And for a couple months after that first hit, it was just like getting clean all over again. My concentration was gone. You know, six or seven trips between the front door and the car on the way to work every day to go get what I forgot and then go back in what I sat down when I went out to the car. You know, I couldn't remember anybody's names. I had no energy. I wanted to come home every night and ball up on that couch and go nowhere. But I knew that I needed this fellowship and I needed this support. And I tried to make a meeting a day. I went on a 90 and 90 and it lasted probably closer to six months because the only thing that kept me going was the meetings and the love of this addicts and this fellowship. What I know about grief today is I have pain because there are people that touched my lives and made a difference in it, and I miss them. Part of my solution to that grief today is to celebrate their life by going on with mine. You know, my dad, part of the memories of my dad, you know, I want to share some of the happy stuff because, I mean, I just don't want to get up here and get all negative. But part of my memories of my dad are real tied to world conventions. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and the world came to our house for the party back in 1996. And uh, I remember we had a fear. And, you know, good. Uh, my, my, my biggest defect of character is still fear. I'll cop to it. You know, irrational, unjustified most of the time. Every once in a great while i got a justified one, but it really doesn't last long. It's, it's the other ones that eat me alive. But the region I come from, 
We open the doors for everything we do and come on in. We don't care if you're new, old, if you got the money or not. Come on down. This is a much more massive operation, and I understand why they do things the way they do. But we, we, and we were told newcomer packets will be given out in proportion to donations. And a couple of us got all caught up in this fear. What if we don't have enough newcomer packets for all the newcomers that show up? What are we going to do? So we decided to throw a fundraiser for newcomer packets. And in my area, that's the biggest function I've ever seen in my 17 years clean. Everybody showed up that night, and we raised money for hundreds of newcomer packets that night. The next week was Easter, and I'm over at the family house sharing, you know, with my folks about the wonderful dance we had the weekend before, and how great it was, how many newcomer packets we had. I'm getting ready to leave that night. My dad says, wait a minute. He runs to the other room, and he comes back, and he puts a check in my hand. It wasn't a great amount. But he put that check in my hand and he said, I want you to give that to the world. And I hope and pray that somebody else will get their son and daughter back as a result of that convention. That's the impact that this fellowship had on my father, who never went to a meeting. All he knows about Narcotics Anonymous is it gave him his son back. And I got a chance to be that son that he'd always wanted me to be. And I got a chance to let him be my father. And because he gave me a place to stay for that first year clean, and he continued to support me in my recovery and help me every way he could, I'm still here today. And I miss my dad. I swore growing up I would never be anything like him. I'm a spitting image, man. You know, and today I'm grateful for that. I made my father a promise when we buried him. I didn't know how to tell him how much I cared for him, how grateful I was he was in my life and everything else when all that shit started. And a couple days after that operation, I celebrated my two years, and my sponsor gave me my coin. I took that coin to the hospital and gave it to my dad. I told him, it's full of prayers. You just carry it with you. And he carried it for another seven years. I swapped that coin for an eternity coin when my father passed. And I made him a promise that no matter where he's watching from, he's not going to see me use again. I'm not going to shit on his existence. Now, I'm not grandiose enough to tell you that I know that I'm immune from a relapse. But I'm more than happy to give myself one more reason to get up and choose to live every day. And by God, I've had some tough times through recovery. And that promise is one of the only things that's gotten me through a couple of them. But I celebrate my father's life today. I am who I am because he lived and he loved and he cared about me. You know, and a lot of addicts have had an impact in my life. Uh, I want to celebrate my buddy Charles J. from St. Louis today. He passed away five years ago. Charles J. was my road tripping buddy for years in the city. And he lived down in the heart of some of the not-so-good neighborhoods of the city. Charles was poor. But Charles knew how to, how to take care of other addicts and how to step up to the plate. He sponsored a lot of addicts. He would take the ones that everybody would, would steer to him because, you know, addicts come in all the time. And they say, man, I can't read this book. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to write. Charles would load them up on tapes of the book, and he would teach them to read and write. He was a landlord for an apartment complex, and many an addict in the St. Louis area got their first chance to have a place of their own because Charles didn't give a damn what their credit was. His landlord trusted him to fill that place and to take care of the bills, and many, many an addict got a chance to start rebuilding their lives through Charles J., man. And uh, I got to take him his 12-year coin. He was in the hospital. He had a bad checker. He got a pacemaker when he had 60 days clean. He got another one 
about a year before his 12th anniversary, and he started having a lot of respiratory problems. And I'm grateful that I got to give Charles his last coin. It was just a couple days after that that he passed away. And it hurt to have him leave. But I celebrate Charles' life when I look at the addicts in the room just like me. I came in here talking to people that no, nobody else could see for five months. Nobody would sit next to me in a meeting for, for you know more than once because it was just too noisy where I was at. And, and, and Charles was a real crazy dude, too, so that's why we really got along, you know. And uh, when I see somebody babbling in the corner of the room, I know that I can go tell them that it's going to be okay. When I see somebody in the room talking about I can't read, man, this dude David came into the room some years ago, and he's talking about I don't know how to read, I don't know how to write. This guy had been working seven different emergency rooms in the St. Louis area for the last four years faking heart attacks to keep his Demerol supply up. I said, buddy, you're smart enough to learn to read and write. You know? I'm not afraid to take that time today and try to fill that spot that Charles left for the next person to step up. And if somebody tells me I can't read this shit, I can load them up on speaker tapes, the books, and sure as hell get them steered somewhere where they can learn to read and write. You know, um, it's not an obstacle. There is nothing that can keep any addict who wants to stay clean from staying clean. You know, Tony B. died back in May, and I've seen dozens of addicts come and go and come and go and come and go until they die. I have yet to see any problem in anyone's life that using will fix. You know, I've been clean since my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and, and I want to stay that way. But I, you know, I, I learned from people like that that, you know, there is no solution there. You know, Tony B. left behind a couple kids, a husband who loved her, a whole lot of members in the fellowship that did everything they could for years to try to get Tony to realize that she, if she just weathered out that first storm, she could make it, you know. Please don't be the next one that any of this room are grieving. You know, I don't care how bad it hurts. I don't care how crazy it gets. I don't care how long it feels like you're not going to get to the other side. I'm telling you there will come a day where you will wake up on the other side. And when you start weathering out the storms and weathering out the grief and all the other things life is going to bring, you're going to realize what a gift this fellowship really is. The last life I want to celebrate today is my buddy Larry H. Affectionately known by the addicts in the St. Louis area is Crazy Larry. Crazy Larry wore that reputation with pride. Crazy Larry was a good friend of mine, and uh, I miss him. You know, I still miss him badly. And, uh, man, we had our ups and downs over the years, as we all do. We had days we hated each other. You know, Larry was a type addict where we could get into a full-blown argument, come this close to just beating the shit out of each other, storm out of the meeting or wherever it was we were at, and if one of us had a dead battery, the other one would be go get the jumper cables. You know, I mean, um, a real friend will get up in your face sometimes and let you have it with both barrels. You know, and um, he did some things for me over the years that are just indescribable. I ride bikes. I got rid of a bike some years ago because I was broke, man, and his mom died, and he came into a bunch of money, and he bought a bike that was bigger than anything he'd ever had. It's a beautiful road king. And he almost killed himself on it the first week. And the same Saturday that we took my buddy Charles J. his coin, Larry was up at our regional service office getting some literature, and he said, man, I want to ride with you. 
I got to watch those two make amends to each other, which they'd had a falling out a while back, and it just all worked out that day where he didn't have to regret that before after Charles left. We were riding back, and he said, man, I want you to have this road, King. I said, Larry, I ain't got the money for a lawnmower right now. He said, I don't care if it's a dollar a month for the rest of your life till it's paid off. I want you to have that bike because I know how bad you're missing your last one. And I paid on it for over a year. And he came into another windfall on the inheritance, and he came up to me at the convention just, a, I guess, a year and a half later down in Kentucky. And he sat down, and he said, I just want you to know we're even. And I said, excuse me? He said, we're even, man. You know, when the money got tight, a couple months there, your payment you were sending every month was all us kept going. I got enough. I don't have to worry about anything anymore, and I want you to ride that bike and enjoy it. And you say, well, man, that's a friend, right? Larry wasn't my friend because he gave me that motorcycle. Larry was my friend because in about 60 days clean, he came up to me after a meeting and he looked at me. And he just gave me that look. I said, what do you want? He said, man, I've been, I've been around here for a while and I'm a pretty good judge of things. And I think it's only fair to tell you that you ain't got what it takes to make it. You ain't going to stay clean. And I said, you know what? You... You know, and he said, no, man, I'm serious. You ain't going to make it. But, hey, hey, I got a deal for you, man. I'm, I'm going to make this all worth your while. And I said, what's that? He said, if you can come up with the perfect reason to use, I will buy you all the dope you can do for the rest of your life. Here's my number. You call me. If you can convince me it's the perfect reason to use, you will never pay for another high as long as you live. Now, man, I, I came in here wanting to die. When that, the voices intervened that night and I made that phone call before I realized what I'd do, and I'd spent the last couple of weeks praying to God to just give me the courage to kill myself because I didn't think there was any other way out. And from the first meeting, I caught a shot of hope that I chased just as hard as I chased the dope. You know, and I'm starting to get into recovery, and I'm starting to enjoy it, and I'm looking at him, and I said, man, you're out of your mind. I don't want to use, but, you know, the addict is putting the number in my back pocket. Me and the voices didn't sleep for three days. You know, and before I left that night, I said, so what the hell's in it for you? You know, you can't afford my dope. He said, I won't have to. I said, what do you mean? He said, i got to deal with somebody else. I can't get over on this dude. He'll never know he's buying dope for two. You know, for three days and nights, it's like, okay, what if? No, then he's going to say this. What if both my folks are killed in a plane wreck? But I don't know. Then he's going to say this. You know, I mean, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get my mind to unlock from that. I think less today, too. You know, but it took a long time to get to that point. And I'm going nuts. And I just can't sleep. I mean, and I didn't see him the next two nights. And the third night I go into a meeting. And I mean, I'm just, I'm way further out there than I already am. And I'm pretty far out there to begin with. And he looked at me across the room and he just started laughing his ass off. I said, what's so damn funny? He said, you couldn't do it either, could you? <laughs> I celebrate Larry's life today by telling you that I'm willing to make the same offer to anybody else in this room that wants it. I will be happy to give any addict in this room my phone number. And if you can come up with the perfect reason to use, I will buy you all the dope you can do for the rest of your life. But you got to call me before you use. Because we're going to do it Larry's way. You know... If you can come up with the perfect reason to use, I challenge you to convince me. Because if you can convince me, I'll find somebody to buy mine, too, if it's that good a damn reason. You know? 
But what I want to tell you today is, is, is I'm able to celebrate all these lives, and I'm grateful that I am who I am today because these people taught me how to do the things that I'm doing around the tables today. My father taught me a whole lot about living and loving and forgiving. Believe me, he had a lot to forgive, about compassion, about support. My buddy Charles taught me about raking down a lot of racial barriers because the north side of St. Louis and the south side of St. Louis didn't have a whole lot to do with each other when I got clean. And me and Charles didn't care. We went everywhere together, man, and people used to talk and point and laugh, and it was just like, right back to you, man. This is my brother Charles, you know. And, and, and I am who I am today because Charles taught me a whole lot about living that I didn't know, and I got to teach him a whole lot about my experiences of living that he had never experienced. And I'm still here clean today because some guy just as crazy as I was wasn't afraid to sit next to me in meetings and issue me the ultimate challenge and teach me a first step in a way that our step working guide will never teach another addict. If you're in that process, hang on. It's going to get better. Wear the fellowship out. Wear the phone out. Wear the meetings out. Don't get all caught up in that. The only way to break out of that depression and that pain is to get your ass off the couch and get on out the door. You know, um, I know that I'm going to lose a lot more people that I love before I am gone. You know, um, I just hope when my day comes that I will have touched half as many of the lives that my father and my brother Charles and my brother Larry did. My life has meaning today. Their lives still have meaning in my life today. And yes, some days I still miss each one of them. But I'm not going to sit around and feel sorry for them because they lived. And they live on. Especially Charles and Larry. Because they live on in this fellowship in the hearts of so many of us that they touched and helped get clean and stay clean. You know, um, I think that's about all I need to share today. I'm real grateful you're all here for me. Thank you. Let's thank Lydia and Andy again for speaking. I've asked Evan from California to read just for today. Thank you very much for speaking. My name's Evan and I'm an addict. Just for today, tell yourself. Just for today, my thoughts will be on my recovery, living and enjoying life without the use of drugs. Just for today, I will have faith in someone in NA who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. Just for today, I will have a program. I will try to follow it to the best of my ability. Just for today. Through NA, I will try to get a better perspective on my life. Just for today, I will be unafraid. My thoughts will be on my new associations, people who are not using and who have found a new way of life. So as long as I follow that way, I have nothing to fear. Thank you. Can we make a circle around the room to close the meeting with the third step prayer? I say it right? Thank you. 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 Thank you.